G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-oriented, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. I learned about the economies of scale, the whole, you have one unit versus 100 units, uh, one, one, 100 unit property versus a one unit property. Uh, if, uh, if a tenant leaves your one unit property, you're at 0% occupancy. If a tenant leaves your, your 100 unit property, you're not even going to feel it. So, um, so I just started learning about all of that. And, um, anytime I was in my car, I was just like, my car was my mobile university, I call it. So, um, I would throw on a podcast and just, just educate myself. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reed as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this 
this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to ReedGoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Will Harvey. Will is the Vice President of CEO Capital Partners, and he controls over $100 million in real estate in the Northern Virginia area. Before joining CEO Capital Partners, Will has a background in residential finance and brokerage. Uh, he is most passionate about showing others that there is an adi- there's other ways to build wealth, obviously through real estate, and he has a new up-and-coming podcast called The Wealth Junkies. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible experience Experience and insight, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Will. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing good, Reed. Thanks for having me. I think there might have been a typo on the hundred million. Um, oh, yeah? It's over a million in, in just houses that I have personally in the Northern Virginia Got area. It. But uh, but I appreciate. We'll go you, with uh, it, right? Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that. <laughs> Dude, the difference is a couple of zeros. Right. We're not. We're, we're, we'll, we'll we're not here to judge. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, mate. Look, the first question I uh, I ask all my guests is. Uh, Rewind the clock and tell me how you made, made your first ever dollar as a kid. Sure. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I always, I grew up, my my dad is in the insurance business. He's owned that for uh, 30 plus years. So he always, he always instilled in me to, to not go up the ladder, but to own the ladder. So that was always driven in me. I would always go to uh, restaurants with him. I'd go to Chipotle and, uh, and stuff like that when I was young. And I would, I would say, Oh man, this place is great. I want to work here one day. And he'd say, no, 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 you don't want to work here. You want to own it. So that was always instilled in me where I'm going with that is, um, he, he also would, would tell me when I wanted something, a new bike, a new toy, video game, whatever it may be that, um, I just, I needed to figure out a way to, to make money, to buy it. You know, he was not going to buy it for me. So it was always just, okay, you want this $50 video game. How are you going to buy it? What are you going to do? So very young, that was that entrepreneurial spirit was instilled in me and how I made my first, uh, few dollars was selling golf balls. So what I would Mm. do is where we lived, we, we lived on, uh, uh, a golf course. So our, our house backed up to a public golf course and everybody sucked the play there. It was the public course. So they'd shank their balls into the woods. I'd go in with a bucket, get all the balls, bring them back to my house, clean them up. And I'd go, so that was in my backyard. I'd walk across my front yard and walk across the street. There was a private course. So I'd get them from the public course, clean them up, walk them to the, to the private course. And there was a little bench on one of the holes and I would uh, post up and I'd sell lemonade and golf balls. And how much did you sell the golf balls for? It depends on the golf balls. It's really funny when I'm playing golf these days, I'll, I'll, I'll find one and I'll be like, I used to sell that ball for two bucks or I used to sell that ball for <laughs> 50 cents. So it's kind of funny. Uh, but the good ones, the Titleist Pro V ones, two bucks. And the, the, the lesser quality ones, top flights, pinnacles, those are 50 cents. So Got it. Um, yeah, people, people, paid for it. And there was one day I remember, I'll, I'll never forget it. I was, I was, uh, it's probably nine or 10 and, uh, I made over a hundred bucks in a, in a few hours <laughs> golf balls. And, and that's kind of what just, I, I realized 
if I, if I want something, I can, I can just go out and add value and, and provide a service and, and get it. So, um, so that was pretty cool. That's awesome. I think that's a really cool way of understanding your background and particularly with your dad telling you to own the ladder, not go up the ladder. And, and I think those, those lessons in life are really important to, to lay the foundations in order to go off and be successful. And we'll obviously get into that part of the story, that's but right. without those, you know, your, your father, your parental figures, father figures, you know, mums of the world who help grow, you know, nurture us into the humans we are today, it's really important to have that, that upbringing and, um, and, and understanding exactly the value right. of a dollar. So, um, so that's awesome. Awesome advice from your dad. Don't, don't, uh, don't go up the ladder, own the ladder. That's right. So, 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 so to walk me through how you've got through to today, you know, obviously there, sure. in the green room, we're talking a little bit about the, 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 some of the bumps and bruises you've had along the way. You want to get into those? Yeah, absolutely. So fast forward a little bit. I, uh, I, I, when I was a kid, I would have different business ventures. Once I was no longer the cute young kid, uh, I had to, do something different and I couldn't sell golf balls anymore because it was kind of creepy if a <laughs> if a 15 year old is sitting there trying to trying to do that. So I started cutting grass. Um uh, we, we lived in a neighborhood where there people lived on uh about three to five acres. So I'd cut grass and, and make some good money doing that. Uh different odd jobs. And uh so getting into high school, everything was good, but my sophomore year I, I started to go down the wrong path and I remember it was New Year's 2008 and it was the first time I ever drank alcohol and that's kind of what started um, me going down the, uh, the, the, the slippery slope, if you will, downward spiral and I started drinking alcohol from day one. I started blacking out and just, um, I thought it was normal, but clearly it's not and in hindsight, I see how crazy it is. So I, I started doing that and then started getting into marijuana after that, um, just, just with some buddies and, and it was, it was kind of a, a weekend thing. And then it turned into an every other day thing. And then before you know it, it's a, it's an everyday thing. And I took that habit into, um, into college along with doing other drugs, painkillers and stuff that you, you find in your parents, uh, in their, in their cabinet, you know, when they have surgery and stuff. So, um, so just got into all the wrong things. I went to the University of South Carolina after graduating high school and it just got exponentially worse because I no longer was under my parents' supervision. So I was out on my own and was able to do whatever I wanted and uh and I did whatever I wanted and just got into into a lot of bad stuff. I got I got a possession charge within the first month of being on campus and I uh I narrowly got away from a few few other charges uh, there's a, a weird rule where the cops can't search your fridge in your room if you're not if, if you if you're not there they, they search my room my roommate knew I had a bunch of drugs in it and uh, and he, he didn't let them search it he was like that's my roommates you're not allowed to go in there so they couldn't search it so they had to leave and I got everything out so a couple couple instances I got really really lucky but um, just kept getting worse and worse. I got into cocaine. I remember the first time I did that was on, uh, it was actually on the day that Whitney Houston passed away hmm. from some, uh, some, some different drugs in combination with cocaine. So that was kind of, kind of crazy, <laughs> but, but, uh, so got into all that and just, just got worse and worse and worse. And then my last semester at college, it was fall 2012. 
and was doing Xanax, was doing, uh, was, was smoking a lot of weed, doing, doing a lot of other stuff too, like I said, cocaine. And, and um, I just was blacking out all the time, did, did some bad stuff. And I was home on, on winter break, had a, had a really, really bad blackout where a buddy put me on the ground, gave me a couple black eyes because I was saying stuff to him. And um, that was kind of when I realized I, 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 might have a, I might have a problem here. And a family friend, he happened to be over at my parents' house when I was coming home from that party, when I was all hungover and, and uh, just, just ashamed. I called my parents when I was blacked out and was yelling and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I was in trouble. And he saw me, I had the black eyes, and he mentioned, uh, or he made a joke to me. And then a couple days later, he reached out and he just said, um, this is right before New Year's 2012 to 2013. And he just said, hey, I, uh, I, I, I want to meet with you. I want to sit down man to man and just, just talk. And he, this, this guy is 18 years sober at the time and alcoholic as well. So he said that, and I was such a punk. I, uh, I didn't really, I, I responded the next day. It was after New Year's. I had planned to be the DD that night. And I had one drink and then that was supposed to be my one drink for the night. It led to another, which led to another. And before you know it, I was just, just blitzed. And that's when I realized I have a problem with alcohol because I had no intention of drinking that night and ended up just slobbering by the end of the night. And it was not good. So the next day I returned his phone call and I said, you know what? I was, I was very vulnerable then. And I decided to meet with him and he told me his story about growing up and drinking and all that how it led into his just getting worse and worse and worse. And his story was identical to mine. So I was looking at it thinking, okay, this guy's an admitted alcoholic. His story is identical to mine. So what, what does that make me? So long story short, a couple of days later, I, I, him and I went, and we told my parents that, that I do have a problem with alcohol. And um, ultimately I decided to, to pull out of school to w withdraw and come home and just focus on my, my sobriety. So that's what I did. I started going to AA meetings and um, by the grace of God, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian and my Christian faith is what really got me, got me through that and um, just, just made it come so much easier. But that was, it was intense and uh, it was, it was very humbling at the time, but it was one of the best decisions that I've made. So fast forward. And, and, yeah, I'm sorry. And sober today? Yeah. Yeah. So haven't had a drink since uh, December 31st, 2012. Wow. That's huge. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Did, 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 obviously, there's some demons there. What, uh, yeah. did, you, did you ever figure them out? Or you, know, you, ever, you don't have to tell me, but it's sort of like it's interesting because a lot of people do have that slippery slope of, and I've seen it, you know, and we're all somewhat on the alcoholic spectrum, right? We all right. enjoy a drink. Everyone enjoys drinks. It's just how, how, how you control it and how you say no and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, because, you know, in society, we, we, we accept dr drinking, which is a form of poison, but we yep. won't accept certain drugs. And it's sort of that weird line that dr purchasing alcohol is okay and getting absolute shit-faced is fine. But it, well, it's not fine, but it's, you know, the, the, there's this weird 
undertone of alcohol. It's socially to a limit. acceptable. It's socially acceptable, right? Right. right. It's socially acceptable to be young and be black out at a party, exactly. right? And then until you get to the point where you you might be in your mid twenties or late twenties, like you don't need to be black out at this point. You <laughs> yeah, know? Like you that's can, right. you can, you know, um, you can have, you can enjoy a drink or drinks uh, with friends, but you don't have to go to that, you know, rip the lid off and, and have have a bunch of fun every single time, right? And then that's that's the control, that's exactly um, and that's right. what that's what a vice is is is, is understanding that control and it's interesting to maybe you know you you looking back have you seen any oh, absolutely. reasons why why you were like that was it rebellion was it all that sort of stuff yeah i can look back and and when i was a kid i had signs of alcoholism obviously i wasn't drinking when i was 10 years old but i was i'm just an extremist so mm. and and it manifests in, in 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 different i mean once i got sober i i was i turned to women so you know and i've and i've I, I now am in a, in a great relationship and, and, and have, have, you know, toned that back. So um, there's no issue there, but um, I, I'm just an extremist. And those vices, like you said, just, just anything that I can cling to and anything that, I mean, it would be video games. It would be, uh, I got into dirt biking and I was just mm-hmm. obsessed. Everything that I, that I, I mean, they're going to do it. I mean, they're not going to do it at all, or I'm going to do it a hundred, just, uh, zero to a hundred. It's, it's, there's no in between. So that, that's always how I've been. And, um, and that's, I think that's what, what is a big contributing factor to it. No. And it's also really interesting that you say that about how people can be self-aware enough to identify that, right? We were all as entrepreneurs, as people, you know, wanting to go out and you know, achieve the the next best thing. And I'm an I'm early stage millennial, but most, most millennials want it happening tomorrow uh, rather than five years from now. But it's, it's how you harness that energy. It's how you harness that um, that chatter in your brain to not go and do something stupid or, or you know, blackout drunk or, or, or you know, be with a ton of women or, or do drugs, whatever, but focus it and, and harness it for the good and, and maybe and understand that you do have that, you know, zero to a million sort of, um, uh, you know, personality. How do you harness that in the right way to do good, to, to start businesses, to give exactly. back, to, to do all that sort of stuff? And I guess that's the difference between being a, a punk teenager into your adulthood that you start to see that where, okay, I, I, I am this type of person. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You just, you are who you are. Um, how do I channel it better? And how do I catch myself from not Bingo. Going down that slippery slope of, of well, I was DD that one night, and oh, I had one drink, and one drink went into two drinks, and one drink, three drinks went into six, and you know, it's just it all of a sudden exactly. blows up in your face, and it's that it's it's a muscle within your brain to to to, to flex, which is you got to have you got to have the a resilience to say no, and it's tough at times. It's tough to say no, and and getting un, getting getting comfortable with saying no a lot when you want it so bad. That's in a form of addiction, and that's when you know you you, you might have a problem. But um, but it's really interesting. Right. I, don't, I don't mean to I don't mean to be a counselor on it, but it's just such an interesting no. I mean that because- that's all great stuff, and I I remember to, to just what you just said to touch on that a little bit more is I I heard something it just made it crystal clear to me. So um, somebody said addiction lies when there's a contradiction. So mm. when you want to be sober or when you want to stop shopping on Amazon or when you want to, whatever it may be, and you just can't stop, then that's, there's a contradiction there. And that's kind of, that's, that's addiction. So, right. um, and, and I'll, and I'll reflect a little bit back to, you know, like I had, um, you know, being Australian, we all love a good drink. We all, you know, I, I enjoy alcohol. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't, I have had not issues with it, but I have, have gone to, you know, being drunk in the past and, right. and I had a month off earlier in the year and, and there's, 
it was just made me feel great. And, and now after having that month off, and it was the first time in, I'm 33 years of age, the first time I had a full month off and I don't go out and get wasted all the time, but it's, you know, I do enjoy a beer or two a week. Sure. But it's really just changing that mindset in and around having alcohol. Um, and, and, you know, when you travel or you're at events, or you, it's, it's sort of like, hey, you want to drink? You, you know, what, do you, what can I get you from the bar? It's, it's at those, those points in time where you're like, I don't need alcohol to be someone, if that makes sense. And this whole sort of uh, revolution with, with the whole lifestyle now, particularly here in LA where people are living completely without it. And not that they've had an issue, maybe like yourself, but they're just realizing that I don't need that anymore and it's like social media i don't need right. social media anymore or i don't need shopping on amazon anymore and i and i and and it, maybe you do it every now and then because you like it and i know after having that month off it was like i just need to have a different relationship with alcohol and so i don't have, i don't need to have it all the time or every week you can go two or three weeks without it and be okay um but having that yeah. real you know de- definition of when when's too much and when's when's just enough and, and that's really controlling any addiction and you know i know social media is up there for hey, me man. to try and do less of i know emailing <laughs> do less of you know there's all these things that you just you get involved with and it becomes a natural habit and it's breaking that habit that's really really hard as as, as a human being to do that so, yep, ab- so yeah absolutely i mean it's there's so, there's so much yeah exactly there's so much, mate, and we we could spend the whole right. freaking show talking about this. <laughs> exactly, but, but I want to get into how you've got out of it because it's sure. it's it's, it's re- realizing that you pulling yourself up, getting to rock bottom, and then realizing I'm at rock bottom. So tell me how you got into real estate. How did that? How, and and where along the cycle here sure. of of going through sobriety in 2012 and re- and having those really really tough dark moments with yourself to say I got to give this up to 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 realizing real estate was now the the, the path forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, from there about a year and a half later after I got sober, I I walked on and played football at a school in Ohio called Ohio Dominican and uh great school, but I ended up getting hurt. I had double hip surgery. So that was the end of my uh that was the end of of that. And that's when I I came home and I never finished college, so I I still haven't. And I came home a lot of people were telling me to go to college to finish up. That was all getting getting um, just drilled into me by by my grandpa and and different different family friends. And my parents were just so supportive. They were like, "Look, you you do what what uh, you you have the will to do what what you want. So so do it." Um, so I I ended up deciding not to go back to school. And I got into a family friend got me into the mortgage business. And that's, that's what I started doing. So I learned the business and then for about a year, and then I jumped out into sales and, um, that was awesome that I went, went through that. I, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I should be more grateful for going through the, the, the mortgage business and just learning all about debt because it really, that's what got me into real estate. It was just, um, you know, I started going to open houses. I started meeting real estate agents and, just uh, the the business just blew up over the course of of a few months, and was making there was there was there was the the month I was doing the training when I wasn't out in sales that year um, there was one that whole year once I was out in sales there was one month where I made more than that entire prior year so wow. um, so it was it was cool and it, it allowed me to to put some money into real estate buy some houses in the the Northern Virginia, you know, kind of DC area. And, uh, it was great. So the first house I bought, I'll just, I'll walk you through that. A, sure. it was, it was a townhouse in the Northern Virginia area. And at the time, actually, this was before I was in sales. I was just on a small salary. 
$30,000 salary. So uh, prices here are ridiculous. I don't know if you knew that, but they're insane. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. It's like so, LA. <laughs> exactly. It's, I don't know if it's that bad, but it's, it's, they're expensive. So you can't buy, you know, you can't buy anything with $30,000 a year. So I, uh, I go to my dad and I was like, Hey dad, I have this, I have this idea. How about I find this house and what I'm going to do, I know you can get an FHA loan. I can have you co-sign and you put up the money and you sign your name on the loan as a co-signer and I'll make you a 50% owner and I'll do everything else. I'll rent it out. I'll pay the mortgage. All you have to do is put up the money and sign your name and you get 50% when we go to sell it one day. So, uh, he's, he's like, let me think about that. So he does. And then he's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And part of it was he wanted to help out his son. So, so he did that and I ended up getting two roommates and I never forget it. That first month they paid me and it, it almost covered the entire mortgage. So I was, I was living in the house in one room, they were renting out the other two rooms and that basically paid for the mortgage. So I was, I was the one collecting all the tax benefits. It was going up in value and has gone up in value a lot. And, um, they were, the tenants were, were basically paying for it. So, uh, so that was kind of the light bulb moment to, to teach me about passive income and rental real estate. So, and you still own that house today? I do. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Have you moved out or you still got roommates? No, I, I don't live in that one anymore. So I, I kind of rinse and repeat it. I, I realized that when you buy a house as a primary residence, you can get a lower rate. So my rate mm -hmm. on that is three and a quarter. And then wow. uh, a, a, about a year and a half later, once I was, I started making more money. I bought another house about 30 minutes from there. I moved into that house. The one I previously lived in, the first one, I, I just got a, a, a tenant in there on a 12 month lease for the whole house, cash flows, bought another one, got a, a roommate there and did Airbnb in the other room. And um, it was like a private entrance and I never would see the guests. It was all automated. It was great. So did that same thing. It almost pretty, it pretty much covered the mortgage. And about a year after that, I bought the third one. So the third one, everything was all gravy through the second one. Once I got to the third one, that's when I realized that this is not, this is not as scalable as I originally thought buying, uh, you know, 300,000 to $400,000 rental properties is, is just not when the rent multiplier is, is nowhere near where it should be. That's, that's not a scalable thing. So, um, you know, I was running out of money. I was using all my own cash and it just, I had some tenant problems and I just realized the, the law of large numbers exists in multifamily and not in single family. So you don't get those economies of scale in single family. You don't, but you get an idea of how you get started, right? And I think that whole absolutely you know, house house hacking is such an incredible thing. And for those people no who are listening question. to the show, you know, who, who want to get started, it will's the prime example of how you can go and get started. You get you know some some family members to come and maybe co-sign the loan. You split all the profits and you rent out some rooms and and you you essentially live rent free. And particularly in higher appreciation markets like DC, LA, New York. Those types of structures can really make you pretty much live rent or mortgage free in those cities. And and I know, and you've got to be obviously a certain age to do it. Like at 30, or well, you don't have to be, but you know, mid 20s is a perfect time to, to have roomies or roommates and maybe in your early 30s. Exactly. But it gets you, it gets your foot in the door, it gets you off to the races, and that allows you to get into deal number two, deal number three. 
and 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 will so so now you've changed your tone into multifamily what are you doing and, and how did you join ceo capital partners yeah sure so i'll give you my story there so i started uh i started listening to podcasts and I believe it was Michael Blanc's I started listening to. And man, every time I was in my car, it, it didn't matter what I was doing. I was listening to that, to that show. So it kind of coincided with some problems it, it, that I was dealing with in the mortgage business. It's a very commoditized business and it, it's going more and more online. Quicken Loans and, and those type of companies are taking over. So the brick and mortar guys are, are getting the pie is getting smaller and smaller. So, so the writing was on the wall there. And, um, and I just, I wanted to own something. I was, I was, I, I was making a lot of money, but at the end of the day, I didn't own anything. There was no asset there. So I knew that even though it, it was kind of the golden handcuffs thing, I knew that eventually I needed to, to get out of that. So, um, so I started learning all about multifamily and I just realized very quickly, this is the type of real estate that I need to be doing. Um, mm -hmm. Just, just I learned about the economies of scale. The whole you have one unit versus a hundred units, uh, one one hundred unit property versus a one unit property. Uh, if a tenant leaves your one unit property, you're at zero percent occupancy. If a tenant leaves your your hundred unit property, you're not even going to feel it. So, right. uh, so I just started learning about all of that. And uh, anytime I was in my car, I was just my my car was my mobile university, I call it. So, um, I would throw on a podcast and just, just educate myself. And I, I started, there were a couple of people that I met, uh, through the mortgage business and I partnered up with them, told them about real estate or uh, multifamily real estate. They owned some single family and they bought into it as well. They started listening and they were like, wow, you're right. This is, this is what we need to do. How can we do it? So we all, we all partnered and we started looking for, for, uh, for different deals and just looking around on CoStar and LoopNet and uh, meeting brokers, you know, same thing that everyone does. And um, we're kind of struggling with that. And then there was this other group, they were doing the same thing. It was a buddy I went to high school with and him and his dad were doing the same thing. His dad has a very extensive business background and we, uh, we all came together and we got a, uh, a 48 unit property under LOI. So it was a 48 unit property in Virginia beach and we tied it up. And before we even got into the study period, before it was even under contract, we realized that the sellers were running it. It was, it was zoned as a motel. So, mm. so we were like, this is only in, only in uh, Virginia beach. Can you get away with that? So, so we killed that one. And after we were like, there was, there was nothing really on the hook. And we we're like, where, where do we go from here? We worked really well with that group, uh, the father and son that I told you about. So we all were kind of thinking it. And then one of us just said it, why don't we just, why don't we form a new group and all kind of join forces? So that's what we did. And we formed CEO capital partners and the idea behind the name, what, what it, what it is. And I don't know if you can see on my video, the fine print right. there is, is, uh, what, what we do is we look to add value to executives and business owners because we, we've all been in those shoes where we were a high wage, uh, either business owner or like myself, it was a high wage, I was a high wage employee. And um, you kind of put all your eggs into that and you don't have time to learn about 
real estate or, or any of that, but you want to grow your wealth. So those are the people that we market to are the, the business owners and those kind of guys that uh, they're, they're focused on their business. They're not, they're not focused on learning about multifamily real estate or anything like that. So that's where we come in and that's how we can add value to them. We, we've, we know what we're doing in multifamily and, and we can create those opportunities for those, for those uh, people that just want to be passive investors, limited partners. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an incredible story and journey because I think you, you've really painted the picture for people who maybe be struggling, particularly in today's market where things are so freaking hard to find and pencil and, and everyone, every man and their dog are, is involved in multifamily value-add real estate. Like it's the hardest yep. bubble to be in and we're in a bubble and that's not, let's, not, let's not, not address totally the, the, the elephant in the, room, in the room. We are in a bubble, guys. And if you're, you're listening to this, wanting to get into multifamily syndication, it's freaking tough right now. And, I, and myself and my, my business partner, Andrew at Whitehorn Capital, we are struggling to find deals as well, as much as, as Will is and his partners. But it's, it, but it's great to show that that evolution or the organic growth within yourself to go from house hacking to understanding the value of scale and real estate, uh, scale within multifamily real estate to then finding people who you can potentially partner with. And that's how my business partner and I came together. We sort of partnered on, on one deal and said, hey, let's go, f- you know, as individuals, let's go join a former, former a proper entity. And that's what you've done. And, and that's so it's that's just really incredible. Sport. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a team it's, sport, right? It's such a team sport. And, really and so is. people have to understand that there is a there is a pathway there. Um, so so will with with it, with all that being said, and how hard it is to find a deal these days. What are you doing differently to, to try and expand your portfolio in order to buy more deals and, and help uh, more investors? Yeah, sure. So we've partnered with we've gotten into a, a few different a handful of deals. Uh, we partnered with this one group, and they got started a lot earlier than us. They got started in 2013. Back when it was uh, a lot easier to, to find deals, you know, if I had a time machine, man, I wish I could I could just have a time machine and go back to to those days when cap rates were were not as compressed as they are now. Um, but we partnered with them. They're not they're not in our group. CEO Capital Partners are a totally different entity. Um, but what we did is we formed a, a partnership and. They're more on the deal sourcing side, and then we're more on the equity side of things. So while things are super, super tight right now, we realized what we had access to was, uh, was capital. And they had access to, to these deals just from, from being in the space earlier, the broker relationships. And it was, it was a perfect marriage of sorts. And that's, that's what we did to, to add value to them. And obviously, they add value to us by, by, by uh, making these deals possible. So, and, and, and so with, with that, are you having different conversations with your investors given how tight some deals are today compared to that 2013 timeframe? Because I know a lot of investors I speak with are like, oh, why can't I double my money in three or four years like I used to? It's like, because we're not in that space anymore. So how are you changing the narrative with your investors these days in order for them to be more aligned with the, the returns in what, what we're seeing in the market? Yeah. So I think that a big thing that you have to do is just stay um, stay on top of everything that's going on and just be able to, to relay that to your investors. Let them know where cap rates are going, why they're going that way, what that means for the space. I mean, as, as cap rates compress, that means everything compressed. Something's got to give. Um, so you're seeing you know, you're seeing prefs, preferred rates of return go down from nine to eight to seven for the same asset classes. Uh, so I think it's just, it's just educating them on that and, and staying, staying proactive so that you're not, 
you're not just blindsiding them and, 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 you know, they've been expecting a, let's call it a 10 prep. And now, now you're giving them a seven prep and they're like, what the, what's going on here? This is, this is crazy. This is so much less. So right. I, I think, if but, but the thing that, is with that is, is, is a pref is a preferred position in the deal. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a return of investment, a return on investment. It might not, you just sit ahead correct. of, and this is what a, you sit ahead of someone else, which is the GP and a pref. I know deals these days that we still give it. We, we have now started structuring differently where it's like, you can give it pref of a 10, but only five is paid current. The rest is accruing. Right, and that's a different way right. of, of of you're still going to get your ten. You're still sitting above me, me as the operator. Uh, but you, you that 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 accrual of that ten is not going to be paid to probably we sell the asset in four or five years time. And so those are the types of conversations you have to have in order to get a deal to pencil. Maybe it is only a five, quote unquote five prep, but you give them the ten with the expectation that only five is current and the rest is accruing over time. And it's just a different way to. Same, same, uh, same beast, different skinning. If that makes sense. So, no, that so, yeah. that that's perfect. That makes perfect sense. Maybe that was a bad analogy. Maybe maybe you talk talk about IRR and how that's come down. You know, the, the people- no, 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 no. You you give the you give a right analogy because we're seeing the same thing as well. It's at the yeah. compression of of pref, but sometimes, and this is the problem with no, no problem with retail investors. This is the problem with. With, with when you are a syndicator, it's our job and role to educate those, our investors about what's going on in the marketplace. Exactly. And it's about changing their perception of what a good return is. If they if they see a deal that, oh, it doesn't hit a seven pref, it's not a good return. Well, this is that because there's not, in, in reality, no deal can really cash flow 7% seven out of the gate, right? So how are, what is the true reality? And let's re, readjust those expectations in order to show, okay, what do you really need to done with this capital? Is it you, are you living off the cash flow, or you want appreciation, you know, over the long term? And and that's where the last ten years will not be the same ten years that moving forward. And and what we've seen in the in the last, you know, frothiness in in this market and and, and what is happening, um, it won't be the same moving forward. So you've got to have to readjust your expectations and, and what what is a good return. So, I, I, so yeah. I amen to that. I totally agree. I was listening to uh, Neil Bawa and he was talking mm-hmm. and he's a super, you know, data, all, all, all that stuff. And he's, he's super sharp. And he was just talking about how, uh, like, like you said, there is a bubble and he, he believes that things are overpriced in the multifamily space. Um, but ultimately the fundamentals are, are still there. They're still, they're still good. You know, everything is going toward the millennial group is, is favoring renting versus uh, home ownership. So uh, I definitely saw that in the, in my, my days in the mortgage business, people, people just preferred to rent, you know, they wanted to be mobile. And, and, and that was, um, that's a huge factor as to why I think that, that everything is, is still, still solid there. But at the same time, we're, we're, we're seeing deals trade for prices that, I mean, I have Silly. no idea how right. they pencil out. It's like <laughs> you cannot be making money paying that for, much. For, for those people listening, you know, the, the, there's no special source here, um, but cap rates do follow interest rates. And when interest rates are low, cap rates are low. When you don't have a cap rate in a market or a deal that has a decent spread over your interest rate, meaning if you're buying an asset at a four, five cap uh, and interest rates are four cap, there's that 100 basis point spread, you can give some cash flow. Will it be 7%? Probably not, <laughs> but that's where you need to, as a, as an investor in these deals, you need to understand where the cash flow is coming from. Is the, is the operator over raising and paying back some money? You know, over a period of time, people, a lot of people do that. You know, let's not be honest. Let's be honest here. Um, but that's how 
these these deals are called a thin and and so when you're buying looking at cap rates and they're in the four 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 and a half percent and you're getting interest rates at four four and a half percent well there is no there is no spread and when there's no spread there's no cash flow so but there might be a really good appreciation market and that might over the five six seven ten years you might see some great appreciation forced appreciation through that forced NOI and that 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 NOI growth over a four and a half cap is a lot better than an NOI growth over a seven cap. So it's just really about understanding what you're buying and the risk involved in, in why why the cap rates are so low. And re- the reason why cap rates are so low is because of supply and demand. When the lower the cap rate, the lower the risk. The higher the cap rate, the higher the risk. So you've got to look, you've got to look at that and, and, and weigh it up and de- determining what you want to invest in the next for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Um, right. So Will, what what is what has been... What's what's going to hold for the future for you both personally and professionally coming into 2020? So we're going to continue. We have a deal that again we partnered with that one group, and it's uh, it's under contract. And the, the, there's a cool story there. I was actually um, in in this, the we did a site visit last week, and it's in the it's in the city where I went to college, so Columbia, South Carolina. So um, so where I messed up, got into drugs and all that. It's pretty cool to be a part of uh, buying a, a property there now. Everything has awesome. kind of come full circle. So um, so that's that's on the horizon. We're going to continue to uh, grow our podcast. We're pretty focused on that right now. So uh, Wealth Junkies, that's what we're, myself and Brandon are, 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 uh, are pretty diligent and focused on that. So that's that's pretty much it just just awesome, deals man. in the podcast <laughs> keeping <laughs> keeping clean and, and sober and that's doing right podcast i love it love it man that's, that's right well um well look I, I i do like to be conscious of time here and i want to be very conscious of your time so at the end of every show we like to dive into the top five investing tips Are you ready to get into it i'm ready mate what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals so the daily habit that I do that I was doing a long time ago kind of fell off and now I started doing it again is time blocking my next day. Mm-hmm. So at the end of say today, I'm going to time block my tomorrow. So um, I'm going to write down just exactly what I want to get done and I'm going to time block it. I used to do the thing where you just write a bunch of bullet points and mm-hmm. and and just a to-do list that doesn't work at least for me so now i i give myself a certain amount of time and i'll say from 7 a.m to 8 a.m i'm going to be doing this i'll be writing handwritten mm-hmm. thank yous and then from 8 a.m to 8 30 i'm going to do this so do that throughout the whole day that's extremely helpful for me that's awesome i think that's a really good piece of advice for people because a lot of people do do the to-do list and they do the to-do list for the week and i'm i'm guilty of it i don't do enough time blocking but when i have started myself to if i have something like a what is it called? Eat the green tree frog or something like that, where you got to do That's that right. one task of the day that you hate to do. Turn off your phone, set a timer for an hour or an hour and a half and do not look at anything or do anything. Don't take any phone calls until that thing is done. And then it's off your plate for the day and you can get onto the next thing. Awesome stuff. Uh, mate, yeah. who is the most influential person in your career to date? Oh man, it's going to sound corny and cliche, but my dad. So I know I talked in the beginning of this episode about how he uh, is a business owner and really gave me that for any anybody out there that's read rich dad poor dad he he definitely taught me as a as a rich dad you know it was all about own the own the company don't work for it and um he's just just my biggest cheerleader and and uh has 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 instilled in me a lot of great values that have 
allowed me to get to where I am and where I'm going. That's awesome. Well, well, thanks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know you, you and I share the same type of upbringing. My dad was also very influential in my thinking of how um, how how wealth is created. Even though he was just a high school teacher, not just not just a high school teacher, but he was just you know he, he always used to say, "Fool and their money are easily parted," and that was one piece of advice I've always held on to today. And that's where you, you can't be a fool. You know, go out and get educated, and, and then stay the course and understand what you're getting your money involved in and what are the risks. So exactly, so yeah. That's and if awesome. I, could, I could add one person yeah, that's mainstream. Sure. So I, I really am inspired by, by uh, Steve-O. So the guy, I, I don't know if you've heard From about Jackass? it. Jackass, yeah. yeah so yeah. Steve-O, his story is unbelievable. Just how he he's, he's over 10 years sober, which is cool. And obviously I relate mm-hmm. to that. But when he grew up, he never had a normal job and just always wanted to be this professional idiot, basically, and this <laughs> stuntman. And he was not going to be denied. And um, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible story about how he just didn't let anybody mold him into going the nine to five route or anything like that. So I, I actually um, haven't heard his story. And, and it's, I know he's crazy because he, he started jack, Jackass back in the yeah, 90s. That's yeah. what I grew up with. That's what probably both of you and I grew up with back <laughs> yep. in the 90s, jumping over cars and shopping trolleys downstairs and all the good stuff, you know? And oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, but I could imagine he had a problem with alcohol and drugs. <laughs> yep, so um, I'll have to check that out. Um, so we talked about who's the most influential person in your career. What is the most influential business tool in your day-to-day? So when I say business tool, is it a software? It could be a software or it could be you know, your phone or, or, or hardware or human in, in sure. your team. What is the most influential tool in your business? So I think the most influential tool is my phone. And it's not, I'm, I'm going to say that it's, I, I read, uh, it was four-hour work week. And yep. I started Tim to Ferriss. do, I, I, yeah, exactly. And I turned off all the notifications all the buzzers, all the bells, all of that stuff. And it has just made me so productive. So mm. when you're not, there, there was some study where every time, let's say I'm in the middle of editing a podcast or uh, typing up a, a piece of content. Every time you get interrupted, it's eight minutes. It's, a, it's an average of eight mm. minutes before you're back to where you were. So think, think about how much time that kills if if you're just responding to every text that you get and, and looking at every Twitter notification and all that. So, so just doing that going off the grid is, is the best. You check those notifications on your time, not when they come in. Yep. That's awesome. I love it. Love it. Mate, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career to date uh, or in your life? And what have you learned from that failure? I would say that the biggest failure would be listening to taking advice from unqualified people. Mm. So when, when, when you're, and I'll just relay back to me. So when I was thinking about getting out of the mortgage business, this, this was a couple of years ago, this, this is, you know, it's a, it's, it was a multiple six figure stream of income for me and, um, early twenties, everything, it, it was, it, it all looked great. And I started asking people, I just, I, I started asking them about, you know, I'm thinking about doing this and going out into real estate. It's really what I'm passionate about. And, and I see a, a vision there and a path and all these, these, these people I asked would say, Oh, I don't know. that that seems incredibly risky. I think you should just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and, um, in hindsight, looking back, I should have never even asked those people because right. they weren't in a position where I wanted what they had. 
So, mm. um, and what's funny is there were a few really wealthy entrepreneurial type of figures that I did ask that to. And all of those guys said, oh man, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, you should, <laughs> you should go start your own business. You should, you should do this, you should do that. And they were so encouraging. And looking back, those are the guys, those are the only people I should have ever asked. So asking unqualified people for advice is, has, has been a a failure of mine. That's well, at least you've been self-reflective enough to, to understand that. And I think that's super important for anyone listening out there that you only take advice from people you aspire to be. And I think that's really important. So, um, so, so well, so well done, mate. Final question. uh, Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to check you out a little bit more. Where do they go? Yes. So go to our uh, website, wealthjunkies.com. And then if you want to shoot me an email, that's great too. So it's will at ceocapitalpartners.com. Awesome. Well, Will, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and really thank you for being so vulnerable with your story. I think it's really inspiring first and foremost, but also the ability to open up to strangers on the internet via a podcast is 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 tough, and but you do that to break down barriers, and I think you do that to build up the new foundations that you're you're now creating your life around, which is sobriety, understanding what your limits are, understanding your personality, in order to channel that energy into something for good. Uh, and man, I really I really aspire, and, and, and you inspire me to to be better, and and that you've done um, so much with your life. So so well done. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show and enjoy the rest of your week. Absolutely, Reed. I really appreciate coming on. This was fun. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for those out there listening to the show for joining and uh, tuning in each and every week. Uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out. Uh, the reason, the way you can give back to the show, if you do like it, is just giving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you podcast. Uh, and we're going to do this all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack. Go give life a crack.